Um, hey, if you have a Bible, open it to Philippians chapter 1. We're going to work through a brief passage of Scripture. And while you're opening to Philippians, it's in the New Testament. Small little letter, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. It's kind of midway through the New Testament, the Gospels, and Acts, Romans, First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. And uh, we're going to work our way through the first 11 verses of chapter 1. But before we do that, let me tell you a little bit about where we're going over the next couple of weeks. Uh, we are going to start a new series of messages next week, and it's going to be a, a topical series of messages, but we're not going to just come up with you know, a new topic every week. We're going we're gonna to work specifically on this idea of what it is to grow as a Christian. Um, I think that um, one of the great deficits and challenges in just Christian churches, our church, the American church in general, is discipleship, this issue of how we grow in Christ. I mean, we do a decent job of kind of getting people to come and explaining who Jesus is, but then, then how do we actually grow? How do we disciple one another? How do we do this thing for a lifetime? And so um, we're going to start a series of messages next week called Grow, where we're going to look at some key passages about spiritual growth. And um, look, I didn't buy this off the internet, so I don't have like five packages with, you know, like titles and all this kind of stuff. I have an idea, <laughs> and I have a, what I believe the Spirit is leading me to say, and um, I've got some key points I'm going to uh, hit on, and so I don't know how long it's going to go. Three, four, five weeks, we're going to just tackle this issue of what it is to grow in, and, um, well, I'll talk more about that next week. But um, this week we're going to, um, I want to have a family talk with you today. So if you're with us for the first time, um, it's like you're getting into the kitchen table. And uh, a couple of things have converged on me to make me um, a bit introspective today. And I want to tell you what those two things are. Number one is, is that last week we celebrated our fourth anniversary as a church with some water baptisms and um, eating some yard bird out on the front lawn and just had a great time. I just love, I love uh, baptism Sundays. And um, and so, it, it, with it being our fourth anniversary, it, there's this strange thing, and uh, Jennifer can tell you this, I have difficult times with birthdays and anniversaries. Not because I'm a sorry husband and I forget them, but, but they cause me to get kind of introspective and reflect and kind of wonder, you know, where I am. And, and, and I always have this sense that I should be further along than I am. And so... Uh, quite honestly, anniversary times and, you know, as we look at the fourth anniversary of our church, it's caused me to kind of really think about, okay, where are we? What do we need to do? Where am I? You know, we started out four years ago. What's going on? Where am I? Am I doing this thing right? Am, am I where God wants me? Am I? And so that has kind of come together. And then this past week, I was in Chicago all week at a conference. It was a huge conference called the Gospel Coalition Conference. And I had a wonderful time listening to some Men of God that I have really respected for years, and but it was it was just kind of me and my Bible and and just time there in this conference alone to contemplate and and to hear these great men of God talk about what it is to do faithful ministry. And the theme of the conference was the book of Second Timothy, as how young pastors are entrusted with the gospel. And so it was kind of like coalescing two forces, like this. This introspective mood that I get in every time um, I think about anniversaries or I come around that time of the year. And then 
And then this, this, these men of God in this room with 3,000 other pastors in Chicago just hammering you in a gracious way with, with are, you, are you really doing this thing well? And are you, are you, are you on the course? Are you, in, as a young man entrusted with the gospel, are you, are you being a good steward of that? And so today I want to read and just share my heart, guys. I want to share my heart. Um, this is not one of those how-to um, three steps, how to have a better Tuesday type of messages. This is, um, this is just me kind of shucking it down from the scriptures. And um, occasionally, as a pastor, I need to do this. And I need to just let you know where I am. Um, instead of, you know, there's times to teach. There's time to give instruction. There's time to exhort. There's time to admonish. There's time to bring fastballs. And I, I think I do that on a pretty regular basis. And then there's times to just kind of to say, hey, man, this is, this is what's on my heart. And, um, and so I want to I just share out of, first, out of Philippians chapter 1 and, and express some thanks to you and um, also share with you some of my, my struggles and where I am. So um, now that I've got you thoroughly nervous, um, let's, uh, let's read out of Philippians 1. I'm going to read the whole passage. Philippians 1. Verses 1 through 11. Paul, and this is the Apostle Paul writing to a Philippian church that he very likely planted years before. And he's just got really good things to say to them. He just loves them dearly. In some of his other letters, he'll write to the Corinthians and he's correcting air. You know, there's like this guy sleeping with his stepmom. And there's people cutting in front of him. I mean, that's in there. That's in the Bible. I didn't just make that up. And then there's people like hogging the communion feast and you know, misusing spiritual gifts, and so he's got to correct them. He writes to the Galatians, and he opens up, and he's, he just lays right into him at the beginning. He's saying, you're turning away to another gospel. So he's doing a lot of correcting in the New Testament letters, but in Philippians, it's mostly just, hey, you guys, I just want to thank you. And so this is the context of that letter. And he says, and also, by the way, he's in prison, too. He's writing this from a Roman prison. And he's, he's expressing thanks, which kind of colors our view of this, because if I was in prison and I was writing a letter back to you, I would, I would probably be asking you to organize my release. But he's just focusing on them. He's saying, thank God for you guys. And God has turned what seemed to be a difficult situation into blessing, because now I get to preach to the Roman guards. <laughs> and just an amazing view of the sovereignty of God that Paul had. But let's read Paul. And Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel for God is my witness. How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more 
with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless from the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Well, let's pray. Lord, as we contemplate on this text, and as I share my heart, I pray, God, that you would do things beyond just what is in the natural, and that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give illumination and clarity and grace and hope and encouragement and conviction as is needed in each situation. And now, God, let Christ be made much of and uh, let your people be ministered to as we contemplate your word. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 3 says that I thank God for you. And um, I I realize that as we've been planting this church these past four years, um, I've realized some things about my personality. Number one, I'm not nearly the leader that I thought I was four years ago. I'm not nearly the preacher that I thought I was four years ago. There was a lot of arrogance in me as a, as a young guy starting a church. And um, although if you would have asked me four years ago, I would have given you the right answer that you're supposed to give in ministry. You know, hey, we're doing this for the glory of God, for the kingdom. I want to see people reached. And certainly that would have been my, my kind of above-the-surface mentality at that time. But um, I, I realized that there was a lot of me involved in and, and I think in all ministers to some degree or pastors, preachers, there's just this constant guard against you just want it to go and you want it to work because you want to be successful. And what that can do is first of all it's completely um, Christless, but second of all you kind of tend to just you want it to work and so you push and you push and you push. And uh, along the way I think that I've at times been gratitudeless or thankless to the people that uh, are just around me that just do so much for me personally and for this church and i was just thinking about some folks first of all, i was thinking about my wife um she is she, she is god's greatest gift to me aside from my salvation i i do not honor her enough publicly i do not treat her well enough privately. I am constantly thinking about my mistress, which is the church. Constantly. She is, aside from being the mother of four children and the, the wife of a church planner, she is, along with her partner, Catherine Cheek and Sue McCorder, she, she's one of the two or three busiest pediatricians in West Georgia. And I, I constantly have to fight guilt that I don't earn enough money so that she can not have to work her fingers to the bone constantly. I, I constantly just beat myself up that I haven't been wiser financially. I mean, we don't, we don't, you know, we're not, I don't have a thirst for stuff, but we're just, I just haven't led well in that area. And um, as a result, you know, she has to work harder than she should work in areas that are not of eternal significance. And, and I just, I love her, and I'm so thankful for her. If you could see 
behind the scenes, what she endures and what, through my intensity, I put her through, you would, you would realize that she is, she, is, she is the personification of a godly woman. And I thank God for her. I thank God for her. And, and I think I'm going to talk about this later unless I lose my train of thought, which is probably going to happen. But I talk a lot about the responsibility of men here to, to lead well. And half the time I feel like a hypocrite because I'm constantly worried about the task. And she, she in such grace and such strength has been with me as I've grown and is there and there. And she's just, she has extended to me grace beyond, far beyond what I deserve. And I love you, and I thank you, and I just cannot imagine life without you. This this past week, or two weeks ago, my little Jacob, who's my seven-year-old, he came home and he said, Brad, there's a little boy in my class. And um, he started to tear up, and he says, he says, this little boy, and I said, Jacob, what's the matter? And he says, you know, his mom and dad are splitting up. And he started to cry, and I looked at him, and I said, Jacob, you've got to know that your mother and I, no matter what happens, we will, I will never, never leave you. And, and I just, I, I, I love, and I don't want you to think like where I was thinking of leaving Jennifer. I'm just, <laughs> I, I just, I, I will, this is it. I, God has, God has, I just, I love you. I love you. I love you. I do not deserve you. I thank my God for you. I thank my God for you. And at the end of the day, as much as I want to see the kingdom grow and as much as I want this church to to be successful for the sake of the glory of God, I, I do not want to, at the end of it, lose the richness and the beauty of what God has intended for me as a family man and a husband and a father. You guys see Ferris Bueller's Day Off? Of course you did. <laughs> remember, remember the car? Remember that, the, the son, Ferris, and remember the car? And remember, like some point in that movie, he... He was kicking the car because his dad loved this car so much. And he was kicking the car and he was like, it was always about the car. It was always about the car. I just, I don't want my wife and my kids to kick the side of the church building 30 years from now and say it was always about the church. I haven't done that well. I haven't done that well. I repent to you and to my wife and to my kids. And I thank my God for them. I thank my God for them. I thank God for Paul Fincher. I've watched him grow from a little pencil neck punk. 
And he, he, well, actually, he never had a pencil neck. When he, <laughs> and I'm serious, this kid, I met him when he was about 15 or 16, and he had this little, you know, skinny little teenage body, but he had this neck of like an NFL linebacker. It was the, I, I thought he was, <laughs> I thought he had a physical problem for a while. <laughs> but as you can see, he's grown into that neck. Um, just, I thank God for him. You know, he would call me his mentor. But, you know, I just, you know, I, I need to, I just want to be able to serve him better. And I want to be able to just be able to lead him better and to help him grow. And in the midst of my lack as a big brother in Christ, to him, he's just grown in the grace of God in, in just amazing ways. And he's just, he's, he's, he's just, I'm just so thankful for you, Paul. I'm so thankful for you. And just how steady you are, how it's not about you. You know, we started this church and we had a couple guys leading worship. And these other guys, they were good kids, but I wasn't the leader that I needed to be for them. And they were just, ah, they were just like a lot of college kids. They were just little prima donnas that just were little punks. And I wasn't the leader that they needed to be. And, and I was trying to reach out to them, and I think I neglected Paul along the way. And, um, but he stood by. And when they moved on, he just continued to be steady and faithful and true. And I just, I just thank God for you, man. I just, I, I can't imagine life or ministry without you I just I can't I thank God for Reynolds he's, he's away right now you know, with the kids on his way back and, ah, he's, just, he's just been such a source of strength for me he's just so solid and he he just he encourages me and he just he's you know I just say something and he hears my heart and he knows if I need help in an area and he just does it he just does it, and I just thank God for him. He's just, he and his wife and his kids are such a, a source of strength for me and a source of encouragement for me. I just I thank God for him. I've started down this road of mentioning people. <laughs> I've got to mention a thousand people, which I can't do. But uh, there's some folks that just helped us start this gig and get us going. I think a Heath and Christy Edwards, they've just been so faithful from the beginning. And along the way, they've just been learning what it is to be people and Christians in a church. And, you know, we spent so much time with them at the beginning. And now I'm just doing other stuff and trying to connect with a bunch of people. And, you know, I feel like a lot of times I'm just, I'm just letting things and people and previous friendships and relations fall through the cracks. And I just feel this constant sense of guilt about that. And, and I just I love you guys. I love you guys. I love you guys. And I just can't imagine... Cross point without you. And I don't tell you enough how important you are. And um, now I think of you know Will and Tiffany Clark helping a children's ministry. Carson and Barbara, you know, just just laying it out there. Justin and Terry from the very beginning. It's Rick and Trudy Allen. They've been so good to me. Oh, I'm sorry that I can't mention everybody that has been a blessing. Um, I thank my God for you. In every prayer of mine for all of you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Um, 
I did not understand this four years ago. But there's this piece of news, right? It's called the gospel. It's this, it's this information that Christ has died for us, that he rose again, that he ascended to heaven, that he pours out his spirit on us. For those that believe and trust in his name, he fills them with his spirit. He gives them his word. He promises that he will never leave them. He says that through their life, through their trials, and through their victories, and through everything in between, he will ensure that he gets glory through their name, and that he will come back and receive them, and that everything is about His glory and He has not left us alone and He has given us everything we need for life and godliness and it's this thing called the gospel and it's, it's, what, it's just what we're about here and I just can't get past that news. Like, I can't, how do you move, how do you as a church and how do you as a preacher say, like, well, okay, this is how you get saved, and now let's talk about how to lead life successfully. Those two things are not disconnected. And I just want you to pray for me that I would be a better communicator of the gospel. That I would, that I, that I would be infused with anointing from the Holy Spirit to just... To just make it more clear and make it, make it more powerful. I mean, half the time I just feel so utterly, utterly ineffective with how I'm preaching and how I'm doing it. Look, this is not a, hey Brad, uh, at the end, like everybody rush up and say, Brad, you're not that bad. I mean, this is not, <laughs> don't jump off a cliff, follow him home, 24-hour watch on that guy. No, but like what we're doing here is about the, the gospel, the good news that Jesus saves, that he redeems, that he restores, that he fills, that he equips, that he promises, that he, that he enables, that he reconciles, that he... It's just this news, this powerful news of the gospel. And I am sure of this, verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Um, I just want to be reminded and I want to remind you of this confidence that God has promised and this is a guy writing from prison he has promised that what he has started in you and in me whether it be in our own individual lives or whether it be cross point or whether it be whatever situation you're dealing with in in all its difficulty whether it be a strained relationship or a strained parental situation that he has promised that what he has began in you he will complete and I just noticed it in my own life, and I think probably in your life too, that in the middle of the strain and the struggle of everyday life, it is so easy to lose confidence in God's abiding promise that what He has started, He will finish. And I think that the reason why we do that is, I think in my situation, is because of self-absorption. Because in each one of those individual moments, I'm completely go inward and think, well, how, how, how am I looking or appearing or doing in this situation rather than seeing what I'm going through might have some grand 
a grand purpose in God's scheme. But he, I need to be reminded of that, that he who began a good work in me and you will, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, and both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. I just want to yearn better in love for you guys. I want to love you more than I love having a successful church or a large church or a growing church or just whatever. And I want us as a church to yearn for one another. I just want us to yearn. I, want, I don't want anybody that ever walks in this building to ever feel alone. I don't, want, I don't want people to sit by themselves. I don't want people to ever feel disconnected. I want people that grew up together and have lifelong friendships to stay in those friendships and do that well and healthy. But I also want them to to begin to yearn for something outside of that and to see what God has done in them and, and, and share it and reach out. And, and I, want, I want there just to be this culture of just yearning where people just absolutely insist that we're going to do the hard work of community. I want us to not just be an hour and a half or two on Sunday group of people, but a group of people who just fight the current of our culture to isolate and to connect with one another and yearn. And with that comes baggage, man. It is hard getting connected in this day and age. It's hard. I mean, we just don't, we don't want to, we don't want to put our hearts out there because, you know, it's risky. We don't want to, we don't want to like, insist on doing biblical community because it's hard, because we have to not, we have to shave something else out of our life. But I want, to yearn, I want to yearn, I want us to yearn for affection with one another in Christ Jesus. And honestly, I do not know yet exactly what that looks like. Would you pray for us? Would you pray for me that we can do that well? I just... I think it involves life point groups. I think it involves getting together in one another's houses. I think it involves us cross-pollinating socially. I think it involves some of, the, some of the established people here kind of getting outside of their deal and helping to connect those folks. I think it involves people that are newer to kind of, you know, kind of don't be so, if I could say this, don't be so sort of, you know, kind of wimpy, kind of step it up a little bit and say, connect. I mean, come on, every, let's just let's yearn for one another for affection in Christ Jesus because this world is against you. And this world is against people living together in biblical community. This world is against honesty. Like I have this friend, and they're not here, but and they're, they're not part of this church, but they're, they're going through a struggle in their marriage, and they've kind of disconnected from... A particular church that they were going to because they felt like a lot of people knew them there and so they couldn't go through their struggle there. So they're kind of now relocating at this other place where nobody knows them. 
And they're wondering why it's, you know, I mean, and I just wanted to scream to them, you can't go through life's struggles as if everything's okay, dislocating in a new situation. Come back to that other place where people know you, where they can truly love you, and we can be real with each other because life is jacked up. And we all just play these silly little games with each other. And it's just, look, it's hard, man, it's hard. It's hard. And so I want us to, come on. Ah, one thing I said today is I don't want to just start getting yelling and start going crazy. Shake it out. Shake it out. I want us to just insist that we do life together. The healthiest thing I think we can do is just create an environment where this is a shared responsibility. And just say that the essence of this community is going to be the Word of God, the Spirit of God that moves amongst us, and our, just our individual desire to connect with one another. Would you do that, man? Would you help us with that? Would you just help us? I'm not expressing that well, but I hope God will help us in that. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent. And so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want us to, as a church, grow in wisdom so that we would know what is excellent, where God is leading us, so that we would have this legacy as a group of people, that God would actually use us to bear fruit, to bear fruit. And I just... I need you to pray for me and for us that we would, we would, that would be our heart. I need, I need men in this church to just click it in. I need the young husbands in this church to just insist that you're just going to stick your nose in the ground and this is going to be your place. I need you to start bringing your Bibles, man. I need you to get here at 10.30 ready to worship. I need you to get outside of your little group of homies and connect with some other folks. And I need, I need, I need those of us that are you know, doing okay, I need us to have our head on a swivel so that we would look and see maybe a person that's disconnected and hadn't been here in a while and call them. Or a young person that's sitting by themselves. And I need us to bear, I want us to bear fruit. I want us to bear fruit. At the end of the day, we're going to live 30, 40, 50, 60 more years. Some of you more than that. And um, I just think a lot about this. I want us to have a, I just want us to have a testimony. Like, who are the people? Like, there's this guy that I listen to all the time. I'm um, up in Minnesota. He's a great preacher. 
And there's people that have built that church along the way. They've gone on to be with the Lord. Sometimes I drive in downtown Columbus and I look at these big buildings and great churches and maybe they're not doing it so great right now, but you know, somewhere along the way there's people that just put their life on a line for the sake of the gospel in that place. And wherever we go, whatever we do, can our life's great work be that we just laid it on the line for the kingdom of God and the community so that we would bear fruit for God and people would come to faith in Christ and marriages would be strong and children would grow up in the Lord and that we would all collectively be part of something that just is far beyond what individually we can do alone. Like can, we, can, can we just decide, God, our heart's desire is that we would be useful for the kingdom and we would bear fruit for you and that we would abound in love more and more. Just what does that look like? What does it look like? Would you pray with me that we would do that, that we would, that we would lean into that, and that we would be joyful, gracious people that just care more about coming and doing our little Christian thing, but rather we say, hey, I am a banker, a school teacher, a housewife, a whatever, but at the end of the day, I am, I am a carrier of the gospel entrusted with this good news. And with this group of people, I'm going to do rugged, hard life together, and we together are going to bear fruit. I've got 40 years left. I'm 38. Actually, 42. I think I'm going to preach till I'm 80. And maybe longer if the Lord gives me the grace. This is not a stepping stone for me. Um, I, I don't care about anything else in this place I want to do one or two things I want to I want to spontaneously combust in my last sermon here at Crosspoint or there's this guy that I listen to and he says the same something similar which I'll let this be a possibility too I want to preach my own funeral and then crawl into the coffin <laughs> and die I want Crosspoint to grow. I want to preach well. I want more people to come so that they can learn about Jesus. I don't want a big building. I don't want a lot of debt. I want us to be able to give thousands and thousands and thousands, maybe even millions of dollars away to the advance of the gospel and missions outside of this place. I want young men to be challenged and provoked into godliness because I think young men are the key. Men in general are the key to winning a culture for Jesus. That doesn't mean that men are more important than women. It means that men are more strategic than women because men bear the responsibility to lead as Christ-like servants. I want a church where little boys and girls can grow up in safety and security where they don't just hear little Christian stories and then wander away when they go to college and, you know, wreck their lives. I want kids that can grow up in a, just a gospel-saturated, spirit-led place where they stay in the church. I want to plant churches. 
I don't want to grow to be a church of two or three thousand people. I want us to grow to whatever level that we can grow as my leadership and our leadership levels will gift us. And then I want us to start another church and another church and another church, not in Timbuktu or Des Moines, Iowa, here, here. I want us, I want us to pour out our lives for the gospel. But I honestly sometimes have the faintest idea how that's going to happen. And I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray for me. And I need you to lean forward in the foxhole. And I need us as a church to say, nothing else matters except for the renown and the glory of Christ. Let's pray. And Jesus, thank you. Even now, Lord, I feel um, <clears throat> tremendous inadequacy in a sense that um, I, we just desperately need your help. I don't want anybody in this room to think that, <laughs> I mean, things are going great, God, and I just, I thank you for that. But I just feel this abiding sense that we can just keep trucking along and skimming the surface and being an inch deep and a mile wide. Or we can occasionally just stop and say, what in the world are we doing? But I confess that much of my life and much of my ministry subconsciously has been way too focused on pleasing men. I just, there's such a part of me that still needs to die. I just want to be successful. I want people to like me. I want more people to come. And I can oftentimes explain it away with good gospel reasons. But at the core of it, God, is just self-centeredness. And God, I just repent of that. I repent of that. I repent of how so often I make it about me and not about you. And God, would you burn that up in me? God, would you help me to be... Would you help the, the actions of my life line up with the words of my mouth more consistently? And would I be willing to lay down connection or success or growth in ministry for wholeness and service at home? Would I, would I love my wife and my children better than I love the church? And God, through the inadequacies of my words, 
God, would you blow through? Would your Holy Spirit blow through this place? Would you, would you catch fire in our hearts? God, would you forgive me for areas where I've pressed, things that I have left undone, um, things that I have not done well, things that I have overdone. God, would you, would you, as we read in Colossians at the beginning, would you, I thank you that it is all canceled, but would you help me realize that? And now would you, would you now blow a fresh wind of grace and power and anointing by your Spirit through us, not so that we can be goofy religious people that have, you know, inward focused anointed services, but so that we can be unbelievably practical, relevant people to a lost world. God, would you do that? I, I don't have the words or the skill to make that happen, and I confess that I have tried to push and push and push. And God, I, I can't do it. Can you come? Can you blow through? Can you, can you, can you heal wounds? Can you, can you let us lay down guards? Can you, can you let us be honest and real and open and willing for you to use our lives, whatever that may mean, even as if Paul is writing this letter, even if it means getting thrown in prison. God, would you just come? Would you come? Would you come blow your wind, your spirit, your grace, your anointing, your refreshing presence through my heart and through this place. Here's what I think we need to do. I think we need to spend some time worshiping. I think we need to spend some time responding to God. Maybe that means you receiving communion on your own. If you're a Christian, you're welcome to do that. Maybe it means you coming down to receive prayer. I'll be down here if somebody else wants to come pray with folks and there will be some opportunities to pray. Maybe it means you standing up and lifting your hands and saying, God, blow through me mighty rushing wind blow through me. Maybe it means you just stand in your seat with your hands in your, in your face and your hands saying, God, come, 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 come. But Lord, would you refresh us with your presence now as we spend some time waiting on you.